welcome back to another edition of the Replacement Level Podcast. I am going to be your host today, Chris Phillips. Uh, unfortunately, Raphael is not feeling well today, so he won't be able to join us. But we do have a special guest with us today helping to fill in. His name is Joe Swinson. I work with him over at Pacific Northwest Sports. It's basically a site that covers all the major sports in the Pacific Northwest. So we talk Mariners, we talk Portland Trailblazers, Seahawks, all those good things, plus Gonzaga, Washington, um, Washington State. So a lot of fun things happening over there. I would definitely recommend checking them out. But uh, today's show, we're going to talk about the AL power rankings that we have. And But before we do that, we're going to give a little bit of time to let Joe introduce himself. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, my name's Joe. Um, I'm a, I do a lot of things besides sports writing. Uh, I do, uh, uh, but I do a lot in the writing genre. I'm a playwright, award-winning international playwright. I'm also an actor, director. Um, so I do it all. I wrote a really cool play about baseball that's called The Final Out. Um, and it's going to be produced by the Veterans uh, Theater in New York City. Very excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm a family guy as well. I have a bunch of kids and a wife. Just one though, just one life. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, I got to listen in on a uh, what was it a, a re- rehearsal of of the uh, final out? Was that what you'd call it? It was a reading. We call them readings. Yeah. That's so it was a, yeah reading. Cool. So I got to listen to that. It is a very cool play. I would definitely recommend checking that out, especially if you were in the New York area. Um, I really like the the whole script there and the whole storyline of it. Very very interesting. Um, like I said, definitely recommend checking that out. So um, as promised, we're going to be talking about the AL power rankings that uh, are based off of Joe's uh, views of the AL this upcoming season and including the offseason moves and everything. And then obviously mine as well. But before we get to that, obviously, the two of us cover uh, the Seattle Mariners. We're big Seattle Mariners fans. Um, Joe's been a marriage fan longer than I have, mainly because Joe's a few years older than myself. But uh, <laughs> regardless, we're both big marriage fans. And there was a report or a tweet that came out apparently from John Morosi that the Yankees, Dodgers, and Mariners are the three strongest candidates to get Brian Reynolds. Uh, Morosi also added that Re- Reynolds to the Mariners looks, quote, promising. So I don't know about you, Joe, but uh, I... I wouldn't mind having Brian Reynolds be on the Mariners here. I know a lot of Mariners fans have been calling for this move to happen for quite some time this offseason. And mainly my view's always been like, guys, let's not get our hopes up. The asking price from the Pirates to move Reynolds is insanely expensive. Like they're asking for basically like your top five prospects plus three guys that can play in the MLB right now, with one of them hopefully being an all-star level quality talent as well. I mean, that I can understand why the Pirates want that. They are definitely in the rebuild. They're looking to bring themselves back into relevancy, get back into the playoffs. And I can understand why. Brian Reynolds has been a very good player for, at the MLB level, been very productive. But I just can't get beyond that asking price of what they want, what the Pirates want for Reynolds. And so I haven't really put any thought or hopes into it. However... That is starting to change a little bit. I'm starting to feel a little more like this maybe maybe might happen. And, you know, if it does, I'm on I'm on board with it. So um, I'll stop talking. Joe, you tell us your <laughs> thoughts on this Ryan, Brian Reynolds to the Mariners 
rumor. Well, first of all, congratulations on being all over the place on that one. Um, <laughs> I, I Yeah, right now, I think uh, the rumor is just a rumor. Um, I will tell you this, though, that the rumored pieces that are part of this, it's not just John Morosi, but it's also Ryan Divish, who's a Seattle Mariner writer. Um, it's it's the impact to the rest of the farm system, which is basically that we would be gutting the farm system for Brian Reynolds. Is he worth it? I'll get into that in a second. But um, the rumored cost is Kelnick, which I think at this point, there's a lot of fans that really want to test out Kelnick and see if JK is not just JKing about playing Major League Baseball. But the other aspect is top pitching prospect Emerson Hancock. Now that is... That gets it expensive. And then I've also seen rumors that Harry Ford, who is probably Seattle's number one prospect at this point, uh, Harry Ford, the catching prospect, who could transition to other positions based on his speed and his hitting ability, is also <clears throat> being considered. Is is it worth it to go after Ryan Reynolds with this package of prospects? Yeah, The answer is yes. No doubt. Look, proven talent is always better than prospect talent. 100% of the time. And Brian Reynolds is a proven talent. Granted, he had a down year last year and still batted 262 with an 807 AP, OPS and a 2.9 war, uh, which is wins against wins above replacement. And that's above AAA replacement, just so we're clear on that. But the thing that plays well is his power and our left field. So he's a switch hitter and he hit 20 of his 27 home runs from the left-handed side of the plate. And 19 of those 20 home runs that he hit left-handed were pull home runs. That plays well at T-Mobile. That plays well in a lot of places in the AL West. I would love to see Brian Reynolds as a Seattle Mariner. And for that cost, it's worth it. I, I agree with you. I mean, Reynolds definitely, his on-field production is very valuable. A lot of teams would love to have him sliding them in the Mariners lineup with France and Julio and Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez it would just make the lineup that much longer and, and that much better. So yeah, I'm all for it. And I mean, you and I've talked before, you are definitely a little bit higher on Emerson Hancock than I am. I don't think that guy's ever going to make it to the major leagues as a starting pitcher. I think injuries are going to derail his career. He's already had a bunch to begin with. I just don't necessarily see him being what everyone thought he was going to be when they were drafted. And this is coming from a guy who really liked that selection that the Mariners had of him. I thought he'd be great. Would you know having the young pros the young starting rotation of Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock being those top three guys like. I really like that and thought it'd be great. Unfortunately, Hancock can't stay healthy to this point, and I'm just not really buying it. I could see him make it to the majors as possibly a relief pitcher because that might save his arm a little bit, save some wear and tear, but I'm just not buying it. So, yeah, if the Pirates want to take Emerson Hancock, I'm on board with it, and they value him very highly, and it can cut down some of the prospects that the Mariners have to send over because they, they really like his upside and everything. Sure, include him. I'm with you. I, Harry Ford, I like him. I think he's going to be great. I don't necessarily want to give him up. Having a player who can be an offensive catcher in today's baseball is very valuable. And I'm not talking about just a guy who hits, you know, like 250 or, you know, or that's a high as 250 and slugs 20 horns. Like, that's still really good. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, a guy that, you know, hits 
260 and slugs home run and can drive guys in like, you know, getting closer to that 300 batting average. I understand catchers spend a lot more of their time with pitchers and kind of their defensive work and everything else behind the plate than they do necessarily hitting. So I understand that's why you've seen a lot of catching or lack of offensive firepower from the catching position as a whole. But uh, if Harry Ford can play that position at the major league level and provide some much needed offense, um, something like a Buster Posey, you know, um, I'd be all on board with it. No. Wait a second. Wait, wait. I don't mean to stop you, Chris, but you just compared your hope for Harrison Ford is a future Hall of Famer, Buster Posey. Well, I'm not saying. I, and I'm, you're okay with, you're only okay with the Hall of Fame production that Buster Posey had. I just want to make sure that's clear. I'm fine. If Harry, if Harry Ford can be the next Buster Posey, I am totally on board with keeping him and I would not want to see him traded away. I believe that's asking a lot of this young player to set that kind of expectation for him. Um, I think he's he's going to be a very good player at the MLB level, um, and trading him away to get Brian Reynolds that that would hurt. All right, that that would hurt. There's no question about that. But see, uh, I so I disagree. I disagree. I think that again, prospects. Prospect value versus real value versus actual MLB value is vastly different. There's very few prospects that really make it to the major leagues. I mean, if you think about it this way, right? Think about the vast majority of minor leaguers never make it to major league talent, major league caliber caliber talent, no matter where they're at in the prospect rankings. And you can get a bonafide star. In Brian Reynolds, 27 home runs last year um, and put him in controllable until 2026 and get him on your roster when you have all these other controllable assets that are there till 2026 and beyond. Like that's a core piece of that offensive puzzle. And you know what Seattle has missed out on so, so far this year? They have missed out on adding an impact offensive player that's different than what they had last year. Teoscar Hernandez, his equivalent would be Mitch Hanager, right? So maybe he's a slight, very slight improvement, but mostly because he'll be healthy for most of the season. Uh, mm. Colton Wong, a slight improvement offensively over Adam Frazier. Vast, huge improvement defensively, but offensively, some just slight improvement, right? I mean, obviously we didn't get the the Adam Frazier that we'd hoped we get the all-star version of him, but we still, it's, you know, Colton Wong isn't the end all be all at second base. What we don't have is something that had vastly changes our offense for next year, which was the pain point. So Brian Reynolds, he's that piece. Like he would be that piece. And I would want him over any of the other trade possibilities that are potentially out there. And not only that, but Poto's been in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's ear for the last two trade deadlines about Brian Reynolds. So clearly he's ready to wheel and deal to get this guy. I hope the Mariners stay a front runner. I hope it doesn't cost too much either, but if it costs Harry Ford, Emerson Hancock and JK, I'm down with it. Let's do it. Let's get sign right now because prospects, not not always do not always translate into into major league baseball players and you already have a major league baseball player in ryan brian reynolds yeah and i agree if it just costs those three guys of, of kelnick and ford and hancock absolutely let's let's sign the dotted line three hours ago i mean let's go why isn't this deal done i mean that i the thing is i think it's going to cost a little bit more than just those three guys i think 
Kelnick's value is down after him having such a bad season last year. Now the shift should hopefully, again, hopefully help his offensive production. Um, but I think it, you're possibly looking at something like Harry Ford, Hancock, Kelnick, maybe Bryce Miller and Gabriel Gonzalez as well to be sent out to get Brian Reynolds. I don't know. I mean, all I know is what I've heard is that the, the, for the longest time, the Pirates weren't interested in dealing Brian Reynolds. And if they were, it was going to take a astronomical package to convince them otherwise. And well, that's, that's the best point right there, Chris. Like why do the Pirates want to do this deal? Like mm-hmm. at some point their rebuild has to actually begin. And it has to be surrounded by somebody. And is it O'Neill Cruz? Then yeah, then they're still three or four years away from a core group that's gonna, you know, really break out. And three or four years, that might be the reason why they get rid of a Brian Reynolds now to get value for that three to four years from now. When an Emerson Hancock might have value, when a Harry Ford, who will be 23 in four years, might have value, when a JK might turn things around because it's a different address. You know, those are the things. That's that's the motivating factor by the pirates is that they can make a haul now because right now they're still not going to be successful. They're not set up for success. And the National League, think of all the free agents that signed in the National League this year. The Cubs, the Mets, the Phillies, like and the list goes the Dodgers. The list goes on and on with all the all the free agents that are are, you know, going to the National League. All right, pirates aren't going to be successful anytime soon. Like it's just like that's in their DNA. But four years from now, when when they'll have to pay Brian Reynolds or trade him for less value because they lose leverage, all right, maybe that's what the Pirates are thinking. Maybe that's why the Pirates get rid of or I have him on the block to get to pull in three prospects. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, and, and that is, that may be why we're hearing these rumors about the Pirates being more inclined to move him, why we're hearing about those teams being mentioned. Um, I'm sorry for – I know Rafal is a big Yankees fan, so I'll kind of just mention some Yankees, Yankees topics here. I don't know if the Yankees have – Okay, I'm gonna stop right there. The Yankees have the means to go out and get Brian Reynolds, and if they want to, and I could see them doing that. I just don't know if it's necessarily a great move for them, considering they've got a bunch of guys that can play the outfield in Stan and Hicks and Aaron Judge and Harrison Bader, and they could even move one of their young shortstops out into the outfield as well. He's athletic enough. So, and then they got what's his name? By the was it Jesse Dominguez? Um, their young prospect outfielder world as well. Jason, so, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if it's necessarily a good move for them to go out and get Brian Reynolds. I think they need a little bit more help in the infield, maybe third base, maybe shortstop, uh, you know. Um, so I don't know if going after Brian Reynolds is a good idea. I get it. He's proven moder- major league talent, and that's what you want, and he can help. But just in terms of where they're – their needs are, I think their bigger needs are in the infield rather than the outfield. Yeah. I don't want to come across as a Yankee apologist here. My five-year-old is a massive Yankees fan. He can name a bunch of players on the Yankees. Uh, <laughs> and we went to our, for, went to Yankee stadium this year for, for the first time, which was fantastic. He, he had a blast. We all had a blast. We were, we were transplant Yankees fans, but I will tell you this, like the Yankees have the same motivation that the Mariners do to fit, plug a massive hole in the outfield. And they do. They have a massive hole in the outfield. When you think about relying on an outfield that is obviously Aaron Judge, mainstay, right? But yep. then beyond that, 
Aaron Hicks, who's constantly injured. Giancarlo Stanton, who's better off at DH at this point. Um, you know, whoever she, whoever, I mean, they had Matt Carpenter out there in the outfield. Don't get me wrong. He was, he was a miracle, uh, his performance last year, but they don't have a lot of outfield depth. Brian Reynolds makes a lot of sense to the Yankees. Brian Reynolds also makes a ton of sense to other teams as well that are being rumored to be part of this, like the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers, mm-hmm. they their outfield was gutted. Other than Mookie Betts, they're, right now they're in a situation where they don't really have a lot of outfield talent. So no Cody Bellinger. Um, you know, there's a lot of missing pieces there in L.A. So it makes sense there, too. But Seattle has been pursuing this one last offensive piece forever. It would it would actually be shocking to me if DePoto doesn't put in the the BAFO, you know, the best and final offer, and <laughs> right. then the next BAFO. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he says to, you know, the Pirates GM, all right, this is my best and final offer. And then the GM comes back and says, look, we got this from the Yankees. Okay. All right. We're throwing in Harry Ford. That's my best and final offer. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he like, because that's how important this offensive upgrade would be to the Seattle Mariners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would it be fair to say if the Mariners were to land Reynolds, that he'd kind of be their version of Brantley, Michael Brantley to the Astros. Yeah. Like younger. I mean, he's only 27. Yep. So yep. it'll be, it'll be 28 in, uh, on January 27th. Um, so, you know, he's, it'll, it'll be 28. This is his age 28 season. He's heading into his prime. Um, he strikes out a little more than my, you know, uh, than, uh, Brantley. than Brantley, but he, uh, he's got more power. He's got more power. Yeah. He hits for a lower average, but I mean, it's the offensive piece that the Mariners hoped that Jared Kelnick would be like, how's that? Like, that's, that's really what yeah. it is. He's the offensive piece. Then we didn't get, we didn't get that out of JK. So you know what? Maybe now the Mariners can get that out of, you know, making, making the right trade. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Plus, plus they missed out on everybody in free agency. Like they didn't sign a single player in free agency other than some bullpen help. Oh God. Yeah. What's his face? Got yeah. last name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah got Wonderful. It. Trevor got um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, forgot about uh, <laughs> this mm-hmm. this topic here. Let's move over to the main dish of this episode, which is going to be our power rankings for the AL. So again, this is going to be our view of the AL based on all the moves that have happened this offseason, kind of forecasting into what we think their upcoming season is going to be. A lot of the main free agents have been signed, so a lot of the rosters are kind of set. There are still some talented players out there that can be added and possibly adjust some of these rankings. But for the most part, we kind of have an idea of a lot of the major league talent that's going to be on these rosters. So without further ado, let's get started with our power rankings. And we'll start with number 15. I have the Oakland A's. I'm going to guess, Joe, you, you do as well. Yeah, it's hard not to pick the Oakland A's in this spot. They've done zero to acquire any talent. Um, they haven't made any trades either. Um, their bullpen is the worst in the American League. I mean, I'm sorry, their rotation is the worst mm-hmm. in the American League. Their bullpen's pretty shoddy as well. But they do have they do have some value there with uh, with Danny Jimenez. Like he's a pretty decent closer. Um, but yeah, their offense is not improved. There, there's just nothing to like about Oakland until they move to Las Vegas. Sorry, Oakland fans. <laughs> I mean, they did trade uh, Sean Murphy to to Atlanta um, and got some prospects in there. So, you know, good for that. But, um, yeah, I just don't – was Ramon Laureano going to be their top offensive guy at this point? And he's 
good, but he shouldn't ever be that. So, um, yeah, I don't see them scoring a lot of runs. I think they'll struggle to do that. And I, their pitching, um, is not going to be very strong as well. So I definitely see them being in the front runners to be the worst team in major league baseball this upcoming season. Yeah, just real quick on Loriano. Like Loriano, when he came off his suspension, which for cheating, he came right. back and he showed how how terrible he really is. I mean, he had a 663 OPS, hit 13 home runs, stole 11 bases in 346 at bats, batted 211. Like that's atrocious. If he's your best offensive weapon, you are in trouble, Oakland. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So, all right, moving on to 14. Joe, who do you have at 14? I have the Detroit Tigers. Oh, yeah. So right. Detroit, uh, Detroit acquired Matthew Boyd. We may be familiar with that guy. Yep. Um, and he might actually be their best starting pitcher. Yeah, Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez can't be healthy for an entire season. Uh, Michael Lorenzen, same deal. Matt Manning, one-time top prospect, never really made it. Hasn't really put anything. And Spencer T- Turnbull, not that great. The, um, um, the bullpen atrocious, absolutely atrocious. Like they've got like Will Vest had an amazing year last year and that he's probably their best setup guy. And Gregory, you guys might, might be familiar with him, Seattle fans. Um, and Gregory Soto is an exceptional closer, but the rest of the bullpen is absolutely gross, but then it gets worse. They haven't done anything on offense to improve at all. Um, you know, right now their best offensive options are Riley green, who was a rookie last year. Um, Javier Baez and spend and, and hopeful that Spencer Torkelson turns into something. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's gross. And they return Miguel Cabrera. who should have retired last year, in my opinion. Um, but Miguel Cabrera is back to be DH. So it's, they're just in bad shape. I can't, I, I can't find anything nice to say about them. Okay. So you and I are going to differ here at 14. Um, I, I've got Detroit a little bit higher up. Um, but you know, real quick, um, I'm glad Miguel Cabrera's back. Um, I, I, if he retired last year, fine. But I'm glad to see him play one more season. I, he's just he's one of the greats, and it's fun to watch him play. Um, you know, whenever you see one of the greats playing, it's fun to watch him play as long as they can. So I just um, I feel bad because Major League Baseball and fans missed out on an opportunity of a lifetime. It would be the first time since the Hall of Fame originally began that you would have three first ballot Hall of Famers in the in the same class in a very long time and that would have been yadier molina albert pujols and miguel cabrera yeah yeah absolutely so um so i have the minnesota twins um at 14 and looking at their roster they're i mean they're kind of like the tigers their offense isn't really a, a lot i don't see a lot of fireworks coming from them at all they they got christian vasquez to help at catcher which okay he's a fairly decent offensive catcher he's not too bad behind the plate as well they've also got ryan jeffers to back him up then you're looking at first base with options of luis arias jose miranda or alex kirilov um i don't know which one of those is the best to play there because one of those guys is probably gonna have to go over and play third base as well so um and a lot of those guys are more batting average over extra base hits type of players. Um, so 
that's good. I, obviously, seeing the ball and hitting the ball is kind of the name of the game, and being able to do that is great, but there are times when you need to be able to hit for extra bases or hit one over the fence, and I just don't see the Twins having a lot of guys that can do that. Um, there's, I guess they're hopeful Royce Lewis is making a good recovery from his knee injury, um, and he can play shortstop for him. If not, you've got Nick Gordon or Jorge Polanco playing there, but then is who's playing second base. Is that Gordon or the aforementioned Arias or Polanco? Um, and then, you know, you still got Byron Buxton who when healthy, looks like he can play at the MLB level and be an impact player. He just can't be healthy. So asking him to be one of the main players for that offense is probably not a great idea. They did go out and get Joey Gallo, which is nice. I think he can recover, um, especially with the shift being gone, but he still strikes out a ton. Um, and target field isn't exactly a hitter's park. So how much can he really help there as well? Now, what I do like about the the twins is their rotation. You've got Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Bailey Ober, Tyler Molly, Chris Paddock, Kenta Maeda, Josh Winder, and then Louis Varland. Now, that's a lot in a rotation. Obviously, some of those guys are going to get moved to the pen, but Joe Ryan is looking pretty good. Um, jo- Bailey Ober's looked to be decent. Tyler Molly's kind of had some success. Granted, his ERA hasn't been great or anything like that. Chris Paddock last year before he got hurt was showing some signs of improvement. So if he is healthy, maybe he can pick up where he left off. I think they're they're going to be a team that their pitching is what carries them because I don't see anything on offense coming from them as well. And I think their offensive capabilities are far worse than what the Tigers have to offer. So... Moving on to number 13 um, is the Boston Red Sox. And for those of you who've been listening to the podcast, I'm not sure what the Red Sox are doing with their offseason. They've definitely made a lot of curious moves. Um, But again, they're kind of going to fall into a category similar with with the Twins. Um, There's just not a lot to necessarily like on their roster. It's Chris Sale is maybe probably going to be their opening day starter, but how much can they count on him to be healthy over the full season? Nick Pavetta was decent for the most part of the year. Can he do it again? Then you got Tanner Hulk. Is he going to move into the rotation? Are they going to keep him in the pen? Uh, Brian Bello showed some signs late in the season last year. Can he pick that, keep that going? Um, so there's some questions there. There's also Garrett Whitlock. Their bullpen, they did sign Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin, so that should help them closing games and help them with any tight games in there, the rest of their pen, it's not bad. I mean, you got Matt Barnes, who was their closer two years ago, I believe. Um, Yeah, they've got some pieces in there. Their catchers, nothing necessary to write home about. First base, they're probably going to play their their rookie, Tristan Cassis, there. Second base will be Christian Arroyo. I don't think Trevor Story is going to necessarily be there. I think he's going to be over at shortstop. You still have Rafael Devers, who you got to account for, and he's just looking terrific. Um, he's a player that a lot of teams would love to have. Um, the The Red Sox did go out and get Masataka Yoshida. They still got Alex Verdulo in the outfield, Enrique Hernandez as well. So they do have some players that can hit the ball and drive in some runs in there as well. I just don't see them necessarily being 
what they were a few years ago. And I, I think they're probably going to be the worst team in the AL East. But Joe, who did you have for number 13? Yeah, first of all, I agree with you about Boston being the worst team in the AL East, but I have them a little higher in my rankings. Um, I have the Kansas City Royals here next. And it's tough because they're a team that's on the build, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're making a comeback, but the biggest problem for me is their rotation is absolutely trash. Like, you know, when you think about, if you just go off last year's performance, like Chris Bubik didn't, it didn't grow, didn't advance, continues to be trash five over five ERA uh, Brady Singer, same deal. Didn't make any advancements. Hasn't moved up. The only person that's really done anything different um, on the team for this, from the starting lineup is Jackson Kowar. Now that's obviously he's a, you know, he was a massive prospect prospect in the Royal system for at one point. Um, and di- and his minor league numbers last year were absolutely impressive. So I would say that there's hope there. But for the most part, it's just not a good it's not a good starting lineup situation or starting ro- uh, rotation situation. They do have Scott, Scott Barlow at closer, which is fantastic. He's really the only reliever they have that's worth anything. Um, you know, you look at almost almost up and down. Brad Keller, Anthony uh, Meshwitz, uh, Ryan Yarbrough, Taylor Clark. These are all cast offs from other teams. So they're just building, you know, they're building their bullpen through the cast offs. Not that that's a bad thing. I've seen other teams do it and do well, but these guys have not been successful where they've been and, or haven't been successful in a Kansas city Royals uh, uniform either. I will say that Kansas city's lineup is really intriguing. Obviously the dual headed, catcher DH situation with Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez is going to, it's going to work out really well, especially for Salvador Perez, but that makes this duo up that rank up there with like Toronto um, and, and Baltimore when it comes to catching and catching situations. Um, But the rest of the roster, like, like I'm not sold on Bobby Wood jr. Yet. I'm not sold on him yet. Yet power speed, very low average Um, has to strike out less. I'm not sold on their first base options of Pascantino, Dozier, and O'Hearn. Uh, I'm not sold on Nicky Lopez. Like Nicky Lopez is a potential starting shortstop. Like, yes, I think he has the skills. He's very, very much in the uh, in the Luis Reyes kind of vein. You know, doesn't strike out a lot, walks a little bit. You know, has a decent on base percentage, but the dude has to produce, and he's been around a long time. So. But he's all, and he's had that uh, he's had that kind of I don't know that just weird vibe about him that doesn't say yeah he's the dude. Uh, and then in the outfield, like I don't even know what's going on. Michael A. Taylor, I think he's their only only repeat. Like it, it, who knows? And my favorite thing is when you go through the depth charts. It doesn't matter what site you go on. If you go through the depth charts at the Kansas City Royals, like they're not even sold on who the DH is potentially. It should be Melendez and and Perez alternating because they both got big bats, but who knows? Nobody knows. And the Royals, I mean, I'm sorry, but the Royals just don't have a lot going for them. Yeah. And I mean, I've got them a little bit higher, so I'll save some of it, but uh, yeah, they, they are an interesting group for sure. Um, Yeah. It will, like I said, I'll share my thoughts on them here in just a little bit, but um, Number 12 is where my t- I rank the Tigers, and I will get into them. So, yeah, you kind of touched on it. Their, their rotation isn't necessarily the best, but let's not 
forget that Tarek Skubal was looking really good last season until he got hurt. And Casey Mize has also shown some improvement as well until he got hurt. So again, if those guys are healthy, you know, you're, you're bumping an Eduardo Rodriguez further down in the rotation, Matthew Boyd, he's shown he can, you know, pitch at the MLB level. Um, they also got Michael Lorenzen who, came from well he came from the angels last season before that he was in cincinnati and he was uh, a player that was was a reliever for the reds and then the angels allowed him to be in the starting rotation and he wasn't terrible i mean he wasn't necessarily like great or anything like an ace but he wasn't an awful an option so i think there there could be some some things in Detroit that could work out with them. Mainly it's got to do with health. Their, their bullpen seems to be okay. Soto, I'm not as high on him as you are, but he is, he is a good option for them as well. Their offense though, again, they've got some more pop to them than the twins do, but they're in a similar boat where they're going to be a team that's led mainly by their pitching more so than their offense. You've got Riley Green, the ghost of Javier Baez. Um, he still played good shortstop, but <laughs> can he can he hit? I don't know. I mean, he could in Chicago, and he could a bit with the Mets, but he really couldn't last year in Detroit. And so I don't know. It's just is he another classic guy that moved from the a- NL to the AL and just can't deal with it? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm still hopeful. I mean, he's he's been too much of a good player to just simply – right off and I'm willing to chalk up last year just to being a bad season. But um yeah, I don't I don't see how much they're gonna do there. McGraw Cabrera can still swing it and he's still be a good player, but he's definitely not what he used to be. Uh, I do hope that he has a good farewell season in Detroit. Um it'll be fun to see what all the other teams do for him when he arrives at their stadium this season. I'm sure there'll be a lot of parting gifts that organizations will give him. Um, so that will be fun to see. But yeah, the Tigers aren't going to be necessarily good. I do think that they might be a little bit better than people are expecting in the AL Central. I still think they'll probably finish last, but I think they'll be a little bit tougher than what people are initially expecting them to be. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of on a couple of different things. I think the rotation is important for Detroit because offensively they're definitely down ranked down at the bottom of the barrel. Um, whether they hit more home runs in Minnesota or not. I mean, most teams are going to hit more home runs in Minnesota. And don't forget that the team that had the least home runs last year was Cleveland and they went pretty far. Um, so home runs isn't, isn't the end all be all, but for Detroit, they don't really have a rotation, at least coming out of spring training because Casey Mize, he's coming off of a massive injury and Tariq Skubal's, He's six to nine months out. So, you know, your top two pitchers are not going to be there. So you're going to have to rely on Eduardo Rodriguez as your number two or number one guy. And that's not good news for Detroit. My number 12, my number 12 is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Oh, yes. (laughs) So here's the deal. Look, look, I mean, I could get into the analytics of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But I'm not. I'm going to get into the chemistry issue that they have. Like you have the top two. If you go over the last three or four years, you have the top two. If you were to accumulate everything together, you'd have the top two MVP vote getters of the last four years in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Right. 
I mean, even Mike Trout last year was amazing. 40 home runs. He only played like 120 games. I don't have the stats in front of me, but he didn't play a lot of games. 40 home runs. If he'd gone a full season, he might have competed with Aaron Judge for the most home runs in the American League. Like, that's the kind of season he had. And, of course, Shohei Otani. Like, he's going to be a perennial MVP candidate. And and I think if if the Angels, and most likely aren't, if they aren't successful by the trade deadline, Shohei Otani is wearing a different uniform come July 31st. You know, that's, oh. yeah, that's my, because I mean, you, if they don't trade him away and they get nothing back because of free agency, they have really done a disservice to their entire organization. And what they need to do is they need to figure out who is this team? Where is the, what is the identity and who is this team? So far, their biggest acquisition of the off season has been an outfielder that is a journeyman outfielder and hasn't really done much in Hunter Renfro. Right? Like, I mean, he's 30 years old. He's, he's, uh, will be 31 on January 28th, but he's, you know, he's just, it's just not the answer that you need. Joe Adele has never amounted to anything. Taylor Ward had some moments. Jared Walsh had some moments, but nobody has really turned it on to the point where the angels have become successful. And I think a lot of that, and it happens, right? Like think about the Seattle Mariners from the late nineties. They went in 2001 to set the record for most wins in a regular season, right? With 116. This was after they got rid of Randy Johnson. This was after King Griffey Jr. Got rid of King Griffey Jr. You got rid of two of the biggest stars of the time. And then you go on to have one of the greatest regular seasons. We'll call it that regular seasons of all time. And it happens because sometimes there's a toxicity or there's a reliance on the superstar too much so that when they're gone, when the big personality is gone and out of the way, then the rest of the team can actually do what they're supposed to do and build chemistry together and create that team environment that is geared and conducive to winning. And the angels just don't have it. That's the only answer I can come up with because when you have two of the biggest stars in baseball, you should be winning lots of games. And they do not. And the Angels. And if you do put the analytics to it, offensively, it's just Mike Trout. Pitching, it's just Shohei Otani. And I know they've acquired um, you know, a few other pieces in this puzzle, but those are the people. And you know, kill me if you want, but I don't think the Angels, I think the Angels will be at the will be be down there with Oakland in the AL West. Oh, for sure. I think if it wasn't for Oakland being so bad, I would definitely say the Angels are going to finish last in the division. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Oakland is going to be terrible. Um, sorry, A's fans. But uh, right above them is going to be the Angels. Now, I, I would say this. I wouldn't be surprised if the number of games back between the Angels and A's isn't what people think it's going to be because of a lot of what you said. And I have the angels a little coming up here in just a little bit. So I'll share my thoughts when we get to them, but uh, there is a lot of similarities in our thoughts of, of the angels and everything as well. So um, I I just don't necessarily think necessarily think that the angels are going to be that great of a team. But again, um, we'll, we'll talk, I'll give my thoughts here in a little bit. So, um, Coming in at number 11, Joe, who did you who did you have? Well, I had the Boston Red Sox. So similar to what you had talked about as far as the Red Sox go, I have them also low and at the bottom of the AL East, a very competitive AL East. I'll, I'll, I will say that too. 
<clears throat> I would say that the gap between in my, for my rankings, the gap between the angels and the Red Sox is pretty significant. Like I have Boston as potentially being a, you know, a contender for the wild card late in the season. They have the money to make plenty of moves as the season progresses. Now, what they haven't done is they haven't um, addressed what their, what their starting pitching is going to look like. I mean, is it going to be the often injured Chris sale? followed by the one-time okay, Nick Pavetta, the unproven rookie, Garrett Whitlock from last year, Tanner Houck, who hasn't done much, Brian Balo, who had a th- almost six ERA last year. I don't know. Like, that's a tough one. Like, they did acquire, they've acquired, and they've acquired weird pieces. Like, their bullpen, don't get me wrong, was bad last year. I mean, I live in New England. I live in Maine. There's a ton of Boston fans here. I get all the Boston news, and it was well-documented how bad their bullpen is. But I think moving Matt Barnes to setup and having Ryan Brazier as your other setup, I think that's huge. Like, that's a big move, especially bringing Kenley Jansen in. I think that's um, potentially, potentially, that could be a game-changer. Now, what will the scores of games look like? To get to to get to the bullpen, yeah, that's the big question mark, and I don't think there'll be enough enough meat on the bone for the bullpens to be successful. Um, there's an it's an interesting mix offensively for Boston. You have you have some some rookies prospects that are coming up. Nothing that's highly touted in Major League Baseball though. Like Tristan Cassis, he's probably one of the higher touted prospects, and he's barely top fifty in major league baseball. So it's not like they have a bunch of answers in their farm system yet lower, lower farm system, like a Max Meyer um, and and people like that. Like they've drafted shortstops back to back years and they're their top two prospects, Um, which is another reason why I think Xander, Xander Bogarts, it was okay that he left is because in three years when probably Boston had gets rid of all these dumb contracts that they have, then they have a ton of them in three years. When you get Max Meyer up there um, to the major league level, if he pans out, of course, then you're looking at rebuilding around Max Meyer and some of the youth around the team. You re-sign Rafael Devers if they do that. Um, and then you're looking at a Boston team that will be successful again in three or four years. That's not good news for Red Sox fans who believe that Boston has just made of money. Um, but they have nothing else. Yeah, Alex Verdugo, sure. The light-hitting Kike Hernandez and Christian Arroyo, both very light-hitting, sub-double-digit home runs. Um and decent average from Arroyo, not a good average from Kike. And the rumor up here in New England is that Kike Hernandez is the one who's going to play more second base than uh, than Christian Arroyo. That Christian Arroyo will continue to be the super utility guy um, and that uh, Kike will finally have a home. And I think that's a lot of what happened with Kike in Los Angeles. Like he played amazing when he played primarily second base for the Dodgers. But then when they started moving him back around, when Max Muncy got healthy uh, a couple of years ago, that's when he is, his offense went to trash. So if you put him at second base and keep him there, yeah, you bat 260, 270, not hit a lot of home runs, steal a lot of bases. It could be good news. Um, Yoshida. I really wanted him for the Mariners. He could have been an answer to a lot of things. He's a small guy though, like super small with decent pop and a great batting eye. Um, But you know, we'll see how he transitions to major league baseball. Not a lot of Japanese transplants do well in major league baseball. Obviously Ichiro and Hideki Matsui are, are the exception to that rule, but go ahead. Name me other potential all-star Japanese players on offense. Don't count Shohei Otani. He doesn't count. He's he's completely an aberration. But anybody else? And there have been there have been dozens of of Japanese hitters who have come over and not been successful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I liken uh, Yoshida to 
the the new JD Martinez since the Red Sox decided that they didn't want to pay JD Martinez, but they were okay playing a uh, Justin Turner as well. So, um, but yeah, uh, but yeah. So we'll we'll see. I, we've we're both basically in the same agreement with the Red Sox not being a very good team this year. Um, I have the Kansas City Royals in at eleven. I am definitely a little bit higher on some of their younger players than, than you are. I, I do agree with you. Their rotation is not going to be great. Brady Singer did look like he could be decent last year. Um, so I'm curious to see how he does this upcoming season as well. Um, but yeah, their bullpen isn't great. Barlow's good. Um, yeah. Like you said, there's not much more to add to that. Their catcher, their catching duo of Perez Mel- Melendez. I really like that. Um, that should be fun to watch in them. I think probably one of those two guys is going to be in a DH first base. I don't know why, and I haven't figured this out. Maybe, you know, but they had Vinny Pascatino and then they also had Nick Prado, but I'm not seeing Prado listed anywhere, um, on a lot of different sites. And so it's from what I found, Prado is still part of the Royals organization, but he's not listed in like the major league depth charts and I'm not finding them on their, on the Royals, um, prospects list either so i'm not sure what's going on with him necessarily but he was another guy that you know was splitting time with pascatino when they came up um but when pascatino left with an injury for a little bit prado was able to show that he could play at the major league level when he got that playing time so it will be interesting to see if he mixes in at first base and at dh as well because now you have four guys for two positions basically um so one of those guys is going to be sitting on the bench and you know it will be interesting to see what they do there as well i like bobby witt i think you know rookie year okay fine there's always things to work on but i do like what i saw from him i think he's going to be good that should be that should be fun to see him grow and develop. Nicky Lopez, yeah, he's kind of a light-hitting guy in that Arias mold that you talked about. I'm hoping that he can get back to his form he had from a couple of years ago when he looked like he was going to be a good, reliable player. But maybe that's not the case. I don't know. And speaking of guys that can get back to form, we haven't talked about Aldoberto Mondesi. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that dude. Playing fantasy baseball, he he's my kryptonite. It's hard for me not to try and get him or want him. Um, just the fact that he is so good at stealing bases, he's aggressive. It makes him like really fun to watch. I really like watching him play. It's unfortunate that he just can't stay healthy. I'm I'm hopeful that he can this this coming season. If he can, I think that really make the Royals lineup that much more dangerous outfield um i'm curious to see what drew waters did he was doing some productive things late in the year last year he was traded away from the braves they kind of gave up on him a little bit um in in that trade and sending him to kansas city but he showed when he got to the major league level that he could play and maybe he's not what everyone was expecting to be but he still should be a decent player so i'm curious to see what he can do um at the major league level as well yeah, just to answer your question about Nick Prado, I think the deal with him is that he needs more seasoning at AAA. Um, he batted 184 with uh, with 66 strikeouts in uh, in 158 at bats. That's almost a 40 percent strikeout rate. So he was pretty he was pretty dominated uh, by major <laughs> yeah. league baseball pitching. Like for those of you that listen that are Seattle Mariners fans, like his strikeout rate was worse than Jared Kelnick's. 
that's that's wonderful news for Kansas City Royals fans and, <laughs> and Nick Prado. Um, yeah. So, all right, we're getting to the top 10 now. At 10, I have the Angels. Um, and, and you mentioned a lot of what is wrong with the Angels, and I'm with you. I don't think the Angels are a good organization. I love the fact that a lot of baseball sites, a lot of major league analysts um they always for the most part like to put the angels as having a good good opportunity to be a really good team this you know this upcoming season like you hear that a lot from them and then every season they're one of the worst teams especially in the al west and so i really like watching them i watch like watching them fail um i thought getting anthony rondone would work out and then he goes and gets hurt and has been hurt pretty much ever since so um if he can be healthy with Shohei Itani and Mike Trout, that's not a bad one, two, three in, in a lineup. Maybe that can help take some pressure off Jared Walsh and he can get back into form along with the, the shift change in rules too. Um, you know, they, they've got some pieces on offense where if they can kind of get their ships righted, they could be a dangerous team in there. David Fletcher is just a pest. I really don't like him. And with that being said, if he was on the Mariners team, I would probably love him. He'd probably be one of my favorite players just because of the way he plays, where he's constantly in motion, constantly being a nuisance and being a pain in the butt, fouling pitches off and just making long at bats, making things miserable. Um, but again, he's, I think he's one of those guys that you love to hate when they're not on your team, but you love them when they're on your team. And that's where I, I view him. Taylor Ward had a pretty good year last year. Um, it will be interesting to see if he can repeat it. There's been um, some signs, I guess, that he, he could do it again. So we'll see. Their, their rotation, I think, isn't necessarily terrible. Uh, Shohei Itani, Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez, Tucker Davidson, Reed Detmers. I don't think it's necessarily great either. Like you said, it's Otani and nothing else. Sandoval was decent. I think he's kind of underrated. I think with some more season, he could be a really good number two pitcher for the rotation. The rest of the guys, I'm not buying a whole lot of, but um, I think the Angels, if health can be on their side, I think they could be a team that is a little bit better than people are expecting and could be number 10. Um in, in my power rankings. But Joe, who do you have? I have the Tampa Bay Rays. Probably going to shock the world on this one. Whoa. Yeah. Well, the Rays, for me, it's health. Um, you know, they have, they have a lot of potential in their roster. They have a lot of potential in the starting rotation, but they also have a lot of injury concerns. I mean, when you break down the rotation and you're looking at next year with, um, you know, fully healthy, a full year, hopefully out of Tyler Glass now and a full year out of out of Shane McClanahan, you're looking at two of the two best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And even, you know, even um, Shane McClanahan missed five starts during the regular season. And that's got to be a concern. Obviously, you've got Glass now who's coming back from Tommy John. And he should be, you would expect him to come back and return to form, but you've also seen some pitchers lately that have not come back well from Tommy John. So who knows what Tyler glass night you get. But then after that, you've got drew Rasmussen, who was a top prospect and you've got maybe Luis Patino as another option. Who's a top prospect as well. But then you have journeymen like Zach Eflin um, and you have Josh Fleming. So you know, it, who, who's going to be those, you know, the, the, the third, fourth and fifth starters. Um, that's a big question mark. Um, and their, their bullpen has been gutted. 
Like there is no recognizable name. Like if you're just a name person, there's not a single recognizable name from their bullpen. It's all gone. They've traded them away. And maybe that's what they do. Maybe. I mean, we already know they're a prospect machine anyway. The Tampa Bay Rays are, and they are an amazing developing team, a developing team. But it's, it's tough when you don't have that power arm. I mean, and they have a lot of the 27 to 31 year old, 32 year old pitchers that are out there. So they should be known, known commodities and they don't have any, they've also lost a lot of their offense. I mean, they lost from catching. They have no power anymore, obviously with Mike Zunino leaving, they have um, very little power through the rest of the lineup. I don't know what happened to Brandon Lau last year, but his power is gone. Eight home runs and 250 at bats. By the way, quick trivia question for you. What Major League Baseball player has the worst average in the history of the postseason with more than 100 at-bats? If you were to answer Brandon Lau, you'd be correct. His lifetime batting average in the postseason is at 115. All right. I just thought I'd throw that out there. So the thing that kind of holds the team together and keeps them in my top 10 is that they have Wander Franco and they have they have Randy Rosarina and they have Jose Siri who is lightning fast and could be, could be somebody to look at as, as somebody who advances even more than he did last year. Um, but Wander Franco is the heartbeat of this team. And if he's healthy for the full season at, at age, age 22 is age 22 season. Okay. Then maybe Tampa Bay does better. But the other thing is this, like I have the distance between Tampa Bay and the potential wild card teams, you know, the fifth, sixth and seventh team. It's close. So I have it really tightly knit from from basically from third from fourth place down to 10th. There's not a lot. There's actually down to 11th, including Boston. It's not a lot of gap there. So all it takes is just a couple of surprise players and Tampa Bay is back in the postseason again. Yeah. Yeah, um, I will admit that I'm a fan of Tampa Bay. I like how they are kind of a much more analytics-driven organization. They're fine with uh, getting young players and playing them and developing them and getting guys that people are like, who? Never heard of them. And then it's like, wow, that dude's actually really, really good, and I never heard of that dude before. So I'm a fan of what they do. I really root for them. Um, to to I really would like them to win a World Series at some point. I you know, they've done a lot of, I think, good things for baseball. So, um, yeah, interesting that you have them at number 10. Um, who do you have at number nine? So at number nine, I have the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. Yeah, the Baltimore Orioles, I think, are a healthy John Means and a couple of other starting pitchers away from really competing now um i think i think the addition of kyle gibson gives them a little more depth in that starting rotation which which is great don't get me wrong i think uh i think it's going to be important to have that kind of depth even though kyle gibson kyle gibson was terrible uh about you know 115 miles north of baltimore and philadelphia um but still, I think I think that that gives them a little bit more, especially since they don't have to lean on Dean Kramer to be a number two or Kyle Bradish to be a number two, and whoever their fifth is going to be. In addition, their bullpen is lights out. Felix Bautista throws 102 miles per hour, um, and he is a manimal. Like this dude, I've watched him live at, at Camden Yards, and the pop of the mitt. And I saw I saw other flamethrowers like Andres Munoz live. Um, 
the closer that stepped in for the Yankees. I can't think of his name right now, but uh, hit. I, I watched these guys throw live, and nobody popped a mitt like Felix Bautista did. Like it was, you could. It was just, and part of it was because Baltimore Stadium was empty. But besides that, like it was just, it was an amazing sound. You know, it was just that. Oh yeah. I would say that also offensively, like Baltimore should be, in my opinion, a top five offense next year. Because Adley Rutschman, who, in my opinion, is one of the best hitting prospects to come to Major League Baseball in a couple of years, even better than Julio Rodriguez. And I know that's going to burn some Seattle fans, but his, his batting, like when you study hitting, when you study hitting, like the person you should be studying if you are a young baseball player is Adley Rushman. He gets his foot down quick, opens the hips, and gets his body to pivot around his spine amazingly. His head doesn't move very much. His body actually doesn't move very much, and he creates a floating back foot, which is extremely important to creating leverage in the in the in bat speed. Adley Rushman is going to be a beast. Um, Ryan Mountcastle. I mean, they picked up Adam Frazier to play second base, potentially others. Gunnar Henderson, like this dude, he he is one of my top, one of my favorites for rookie of the year this year coming up. Um, I just think he's he's everything, and he's going to be a super utility guy potentially for Baltimore or fill in with, for injuries. And then you look in their outfield. Cedric Mullins is fantastic. Austin Hayes, meh, whatever. Anthony Santander, lots of power. Like, I love Baltimore, except for the rotation. Like, if their rotation had a little more meat on the bones, and if John Means comes back and is really healthy, then maybe Baltimore gets further up on this ranking. And again, not a lot of distance between number 11 and number 4 in my rankings. But... Baltimore is just a good rotation, just good rotation members away from being a constant competitor in the playoffs. So I've got Baltimore at eight, so I won't say anything else on there because we'll touch on here in just a minute. But at at nine, I've got the Texas Rangers. And (laughs) I will admit that a lot of it has to do with the spending spree that Texas has gone on the last two seasons. Um, I don't know how much money they've dropped on certain players, but I know it's a lot of lot of money um, and getting Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Jacob DeGrom, John Gray, Andrew Haney. Um, I'm sure I'm probably missing somebody else in there as well, but they've just spent a ton of money uh, and built to build their team, not necessarily through the draft or through trades or anything. They've just went out and bought guys and traded. Uh, yeah, basically just bought guys. So um, I think there's, I'm kind of split on them. I could see them being like the new angels where they just go out and spend money and it doesn't work out for them. And you kind of just laugh because like they just keep doing it over and over again. But at the same time, like I kind of feel like, Texas might actually be getting good players that can still be productive and worth their, their contracts. I mean, getting Jacob DeGrom, he's going to be their opening day starter more than likely. Andrew Haney. I really like him. His biggest problem is health. If he can stay healthy, I think he'd be a nice, interesting piece in the rotation. John Gray was all, was decent last year. Martin Perez had a very outstanding season. I mean, not a lot of people expected from him, but he, you know, he turned it in. He was great. Dane Dooning, I think, is a guy that just needs some more developing in there, and he could be good. Um, I think with him possibly being the team's number four starter in there, maybe number three, I think that might help take some pressure off him. He can just kind of 
worry about pitching and not maybe have the extra pressure of like he's got to hit his you know the expectations people have for prospects or anything like that so their bullpen isn't necessarily like that scary or anything like that jose leclerc okay joe barlow okay i mean they can be good but they can also be bad so i'm not really impressed um catchers They've got Jonah Heim and Mitch Garver. Jonah Heim was kind of actually impressive. I didn't think he was really good. And then I kind of saw his numbers. I was like, hey, this guy actually is pretty decent. So um, Mitch Garver, I don't know. I, I he's He can play, but I think he may just be more in the Mike Zanino category of, hey, he's probably going to strike out a lot. But when he connects with the ball, he's going to hit a home run. And that's kind of going to be about it. So, um yeah, we'll see. Um, I like Nathaniel Lowe. I like Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager. I like those guys. Josh Jung, I am kind of high on him. I really am curious to see how he does at third base for an entire season. Um, it'll be fun to watch him play. Uh, outfield, whatever. You got Adolis Garcias and kind of about it. The other Tavares, nice player, but, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, they still need some help in there, but – I still think with that, with the money they've spent on some of the big players, I think that's enough to help get them to being a respectable team. Um, they changed managers in the offseason as well. Maybe that can help too. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we flip flop Baltimore and Texas because I have oh, te- nice. Texas number eight. So, and you have Baltimore number eight, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. So I'll just let you go ahead and then go right in and tell us about the Rangers. Yeah. I'll just piggyback on this real quick. Uh, yeah. Have the Rangers spent a lot of money? Yes. Gobs of money, but gobs of money doesn't equal team chemistry. It never has. Now winning can create team chemistry as long as there isn't reliance on one player. And I think Texas has kind of adopted this philosophy that if I have a bunch of superstars, then we don't have to rely on just the one player, which is surprising because I think along the same lines as you, that I think that Josh Jung is going to be an absolute beast, but he's got to get better in the zone. I mean, he struck out 41% of the time in a very small sample size. Um, and he only walked four times in a hundred at bats. Like that's just not good. Um, so he's got to figure that out, but he could be a beast at third base. The thing that I will say about the thing that Toronto hasn't, I'm sorry, Texas hasn't done is they haven't improved their defense. I mean, they still have Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon up the middle, which turned out to be a deadly combination when it comes to defensive de- defensive runs saved. Um, Jung might be a good third base option, but Nathaniel Lau is not a good first base option. Yes, he won a Silver Slugger Award for first base, but that was because of his offensive prowess, not, not anything to do with his defense. And Jonah Heim is not a good defensive catcher. Like they just, in their outfield, you have Adolis Garcia, who has an incredible arm. You have Leotis Tavares, who's extremely fast, but you also have a lot of errors. I think they they led the majors last, or they at least led the American League in outfield errors with 23. That's an enormous, that's like, there are some teams whose infields don't get that many errors. You know, like it's that, it was just an incredible amount of errors for an outfield. And maybe I'm exaggerating on the infield part. Um, but ultimately, Texas spent a lot of money. They're going to get more wins. Like, Jacob deGrom and John Gray or Jacob deGrom and Martin Perez is a one, two combo, both lefty or I'm sorry, not with both lefties power, righty finesse, lefty. That's a great combination. Then you throw in John Gray as their number three and Andrew Haney, who's never been successful anywhere. He's gone. 
um, has any experience limited success, but Andrew Haney as your fourth and then maybe Dunning who actually was terrible last year as well. And, or Odorizzi who was also terrible last year, either one of these guys as the journeyman fifth guy that should work. I can tell you this also, I spent some time in Dallas this year, my company, the company I work for is out of Dallas and the rumblings right now in Dallas is that they are not satisfied with all the money that was spent, especially if they don't win now. Like that's the mentality Mm. right now is that they have to win now. So fans are not actually happy about all this money that's being spent and they don't expect because they don't feel like it's being spent in the right spots. The two spots that are missing is bullpen. They still haven't improved their bullpen. They're still stuck with either Joe Barlow or Jose LeClerc at closer. They haven't done anything else or no other names in there. And they're all journeyman pitchers. Like every single one of them has at least two or three years of experience and their defense has not improved. So that's the problem in Texas. And when your defense is not improved, your pitching suffers. So we'll see what happens. I have them eighth. I have them potentially in the running because they spent so much money, but I'm not sold on Texas by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah, there there be a nice case study for for this upcoming season for sure. Um, so at eight, I've got Baltimore in there. I their their rotation you kind of hit on it. John Means, if he's healthy, should be good. Kyle Gibson. I mean, anytime you get a player that is from the state of Indiana, Russia, that can only help you out and be a better <laughs> team. So you know, gotta love me some Gibby. Uh, jokes aside, though, I, fine. He's a good player. Can be quality, whatever. You know, um, I'm really interested to see their young prospect uh, Grayson Rodriguez in there. I think he's going to get the call up. He might be the first prospect that gets called up this season, and I really like to see what he can do in that rotation. I think when he does get that call up, I think it's going to be a boost to the team. It's going to help them. Uh, The bullpen, yeah, you've got Bautista in there is good. They brought back uh, Michael Givens, um, so fine. D.L. Hall was another one of the young prospects for the rotation that didn't look like he worked out last year. They moved him to the pen. He kind of had a little bit better success there. So it will be interesting to see if they want to just keep him in the pen for the rest of the time he's in Baltimore or if they want to give him another shot at the rotation. But either way, he right now is looking like he's going to be in the rotation and he's got a good arm in there. So that'll be fun to watch. You talked Rushman. I won't add anything else in there. I mean, the rest of their offense, I like Gunnar Henderson. I'm going to be curious to see what they do with him. I think he may be their opening day third baseman just because he's a guy that can produce at the plate and play defense. Um, Where some of their other options in there kind of not necessarily as good of a, of a offensive capability as as Henderson could be. So um, that's why I think Henderson might be in the opening day roster and playing a lot more their outfield could still use some help in there. Um, so, but yeah, I think Baltimore, they kind of came out of nowhere last year and made a surprise run at the playoffs. They didn't quite get there, but they were not expected to have the success that they did. And I think a lot of that probably is Joe and what you talked about and team chemistry. Uh, and it doesn't look like they've necessarily added a whole lot of players that could come in with a big ego or attitude and disrupt that chemistry. I mean, They added Adam Frazier, who is good. I think he can be a good second baseman and a good utility player for them as well. Um, And I think he'll fit in well in their clubhouse and just be in a good addition to their their roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're a lot more of a formidable opponent this season and that the race for the AL East crown is – you know, a lot tighter four-team race with Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Toronto, and the Yankees. So um, that will be fun to watch them. We already talked about how Boston's going to be bad, and 
yeah, that's the way it goes. Um, so moving on to number seven, I have the Chicago White Sox in there. Um, they're another team that health is a big determining factor in them. And when I was looking at them, man, that I could have them higher up there. I could have them as a top five team in there. Maybe, maybe number one, if, you know, health works out for them. But at the same time, like you do have to factor in that health, you can't always guarantee it. And they've got a lot of players who've kind of had some issues with that health um, department in Eloy Jimenez and um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Luis Robert as well. Both those guys, when they're healthy, they can be productive and be those high quality players that they were thought to be in the prospect realm when they're coming up, they just can't stay healthy. And it's hard to rely on those guys to be healthy all season long. So that's why I have them down a little bit further in there. I mean, you still have Tim Anderson with all his bat flipping and everything in there. Um, Moncada, I, I kind of disappointed him. I thought he'd be better than what he was and he hasn't been for the last couple of seasons. And I don't know exactly what's wrong with him. Um, their rotation, I really like their five-man rotation in Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, and Mike Clevenger in there. Um, again, Clevenger with health concerns, though. So, you know, what does that do? Kopech hasn't been necessarily healthy either. So, again, the injury is the biggest concern for me with the White Sox in what how it impacts their season. Liam Hendricks is a really good closer. Aaron Bummer. Garrett Crochet, Joe Kelly, Jake Diekman. That's a nice bullpen in there. Um, Reynaldo Lopez has shown that he's probably a better bullpen option, but he can be that um, long man guy in there as well, or a spot starter here and there. So they, they are an interesting club. It's hard to have them down so low when you look at their roster and you see that they, you know, again, in a vacuum with health, they could be a really talented team and go on a deep playoff run and win a World Series, but they can't be healthy, and that is hard to bank on that happening um, for a full season. So I, I can't – I had to kind of split the middle a little bit and have them a little bit lower in, in my rankings. So my number seven is also the Chicago White Sox. Oh and, boy. and you know, it's, it's for the same exact reasons and the, the biggest problem. So you have the letdown season that, that Giolito had, right. Um, you know, where he came in, you know, ace like stuff and he finished with a four nine ERA and yeah, he strikes out a lot of batters, but he wasn't getting deep in a games because he couldn't throw strikes. Yeah. Struck out 177 batters and 161 innings, but 161 innings at 30 starts is not helping your team out. And when you have a light lights out bullpen, like, like the White Sox do, it gets taxed pretty quickly, you know, and I, the one person you didn't name was Kendall Graveman and Kendall Graveman is, is such an important piece of that bullpen to go with a Joe Kelly, to go with a crochet and a bummer to get to Liam Hendricks, who's one of the greatest closers of the 2020s, right? First of all, he's Australian. I love Australian pitchers, um, but <laughs> and and I love them that have I love them when they have great attitudes. And what I mean by that is that they talk trash and they are hilarious. And Liam Hendricks is all those things. Um, if you get a chance, follow Liam Hendricks' Twitter account. He says funny stuff all the time, and it's fantastic. Lance Lynn, the injury bug struck so hard last year that Jolita was terrible and probably was injured, and they never put him on the IL. But Lance Lynn spent a significant part significant part of the year on the IL. Obviously Clevenger was coming off of uh, 
you know, Tommy John. And when he came to San Diego, which is a pitcher's haven, he didn't really do that well. And then Michael Kopech, who was lighting the world on fire, ends up going on the IL in the second half of the season. And he misses about seven starts, almost two months or a month and a half of the season. So the whole rotation has issues and they don't have any depth as well when it comes to the rotation. So if they do end up running, running out of starting pitchers, they're really in trouble. But the other thing is, and this is, was it an anomaly or was it this just the way it's going to be? Cause it wasn't just the starting rotation that got injured. It was almost everybody on offense that got injured. Tim Anderson spent time on the IL. Yon Mankata spent time on the IL. Aloy Jimenez. I mean, is there a year yet that he has not spent time on the IL? Cause I'd like to know that year, what year that was. Hold on. Oh, I have the stats right in front of me. Oh, it's never, that's a never thing. In fact, he's played four full major league baseball seasons and he did have 122 games in 2019. But since then, 2022 was his second most games played at 84. I guess you can count the COVID year as being a, his most complete season. Cause he did play 55 games in 60 out of six, 55 of the 60 games. But, I mean, everybody missed a lot of games that year, obviously. Um, Luis Robert, like, I just, that's my biggest concern is health. And it's everything. So is it, was that the anomaly? And they got it out of their system? Because if they did that, then I do think the Chai Sox can be something big this year. But if injuries strike again, they don't have the depth, clearly, and the offensive firepower to overcome those depths, that or overcome those injuries. So, so that's why I have the White Sox just on the outside looking in when it comes to potential playoff teams. Yeah. I think actually Eloy Jimenez actually has a house on the IL. Um, so that's why he <laughs> spends so much time there. He got to make, you know, make sure he spend enough time in there. Um, <laughs> moving on to number six, who do you have? All right. I have the Seattle Mariners. Oh, so here's the deal with the Seattle Mariners. First of all, Chemistry-wise, I think they get it right. Obviously, you can't have an underperforming offensive team like Seattle and not get it right. But their pitching staff, their starting pitching staff is lights out. In my opinion, and granted, I'm a Seattle Mariners fan, somewhat of a homer, the Seattle Mariners have the number two starting rotation in the American League. So, and that goes a long ways because that helps your bullpen. That makes everybody look good on your bullpen. I also think that the Seattle Mariners have one of the best bullpens in the American League as well. But it's that outfield missing piece. That's the thing. Like if they get a Brian Reynolds, like we talked about earlier today, they go from, in my rankings, just looking at it analytically, they go from ranked sixth all the way up to rank third in the American League. That's what Brian Reynolds would do. To, to the Seattle Mariners, in my opinion. That also shows you how closely ranked everybody is. I, I'm not going to spend too much time because offensively, they do have some great things going for them and growth. Like That's the other thing, too. They're a young team that's growing in the right direction. So Cal Raleigh, I expect him to continue to bat like he did in the second half last year and bat over 240 and probably slug 30 or more home runs given the fact that he might have a full season at catcher and maybe play some DH since Seattle doesn't have a DH yet. Um, Ty France, I, I, after the wrist injury, obviously things are a little bit different for him. A healthy Ty France is right around a 290, 300 batting average. He should do well. They also have a super utility guy in Dylan Moore. They acquired Colton Wong, who's fantastic. A. Eugenio Suarez was a definite great clubhouse presence, and they kept the right end of that bad trade, essentially, where they got Jesse Winker. Um, and they got rid of him for Colton Wong, which was an amazing steal, by the way. J.P. Crawford. 
Yeah, he was given the starting shortstop position in 2020 to, in the 2020-2021 offseason, said he's the Seattle shortstop of the future. And it has panned out to be that way, but I think there's a lot of fans that are okay with J.P. Crawford going to a different position or being a utility guy. The hole is the outfield. Yes, Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez, they're set. They're, you know, we've got a, we got two silver sluggers right there uh, in regards to uh, performance. But it is such a massive hole in left field that Sam Haggerty, you kind of hope he comes back from his uh, from his injuries and does well. But in the event that he doesn't, then you have to deal with Jared Kelnick and former top prospect Taylor Trammell. And that's that's not good news for Seattle. Like that's that's the worst case scenario. So that's that's kind of where I have Seattle right now. But again, if they acquire acquire Brian Reynolds, regardless of what they have to give up, as long as it's not anybody from their current roster other than JK, great. Yeah, they move up big time. So I I'll just say this. I don't have Seattle at six. I have I have them later on. Um I have Cleveland Guardians at six. I think it's it's probably going to be considered hypocritical since I bashed some teams earlier with not having a lot of power, and that is what the Guardians don't necessarily have. They did go ahead and get Josh Bell, who should help in that regard, along with Jose Ramirez. Uh, Andres Jimenez was a very nice find, or I should say very good find, very nice get by them. Um, he's playing very well at second base. I think he can also play shortstop pretty well. Also, they do have Ahmed Rosario at who can also play short. Who's, you know, he's kind of stabilized. He's not a top tier guy or anything like that, but he's he's a quality player. Um, he can be productive in 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 their their team with their team. Uh, Stephen Kwan was definitely a surprise. I think a surprise by a lot of Guardian fans as well. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere and had a very fantastic season. He doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, he doesn't necessarily walk a lot either, but he just puts the bat on the ball and gets hits. And that is just as good as getting walks. So um, he does do a very good job of getting on base. Miles Straw, nice player. They could probably upgrade there, but he's still a nice player in there. Oscar Gonzalez is kind of similar to Quan and doesn't strike out a lot, but you know, doesn't also walk necessarily a lot, but again, puts the bat on the ball. So their whole team is kind of of that mold of they're not going to strike out a lot. They're going to work pitch counts and get into bullpens and just um, kind of wear teams down and get base hits and just kind of make it a constant mental battle knowing that, Hey, for the pitcher, they got to make good pitches because these guys are not going to miss bad pitches, not necessarily hit them over the fence or anything like that, but they're just not going to miss bad pitches and they're going to work to get a good pitch. So you got to make really good pitches. The rotation, I mean, you got Shane Bieber, great. Uh, Zach Plezak, a Ball State alum. So, you know, good for him. He actually hasn't been too great, which doesn't help out a whole lot but again you know chirp chirp for him gotta support him um tristan mckenzie i really like him and i also like cody morris who i think could be a good good player for them but obviously you need to get into that rotation aaron savali yeah and cal contrail yeah i think the guardians could use some more help in the rotation their bullpen is really good i mean you got clace you've got uh karen check as well so um yeah it'll They'll, I think they'll be good. They're just a team that, unfortunately, you can't say they're not that good because they showed it last year. They're a good team. They just 
play they go out they play baseball and they end up winning more games than they lose they did get mike zanino um which will also help with their offensive firepower and hitting those home runs he's gonna strike out a lot so he doesn't really quite fit that mold of what the rest of the guardians offense does but um i think they'll be a fine team yeah i have cleveland a little bit later in the uh, in my rankings <laughs> So we are up to number five. Um, you talked about them earlier in the Tampa Bay Rays. I have them at five. I think they're just a team that you, their analytics machine, they go mostly off of that. They turn players that aren't necessarily great into being good players. Um, they, they just, you can't, I, you can't count them out. Um, I, they love to mix and match their lineups based on who they're facing. Uh, it's all analytics driven for them. They've got a lot of good players. They don't necessarily have a lot of star talent. I think Wander Franco is going to be their star, at least for my fantasy team. I hope he is because um, <laughs> I, I, I tanked one year on purpose to make sure I had him and I, it, you know, I got him, but he, you know, hasn't quite delivered. So um, I'm really banking on him coming through. I do like Randy Rose Arena. Um, their their bullpen is not like you said. There were no names. I mean, Pete Fairbanks has been with them for a few seasons now. He's pretty decent. Um, Jason Adam wasn't greatest. I mean, but he's it's a guy I recognize. Same with Colin Post. I I do like their rotation in McClanahan, Tyler Glass now. Um, I still have high hopes for Luis Patino as well. We'll see what happens. And um, Glasnow did come back and have a 1.35 ERA last season. So we can't say that he's damaged or anything. That uh, caveat is he did only make two starts and pitch six and two thirds inning <laughs> to get that ERA. So very, very tiny sample size. But uh, you know what? We're being glass half full here, and Glasnow is going to be back and be dominant. Who do you have at uh, at number number five? Yeah, first of all, that was a stretch. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. That was such a stretch on the glass. Now is not damaged. Yeah, two two game two pitch two games six and a third innings gave up one run. Thank you, hey, thank you. That's hey, I mean, a lot of players wouldn't mind six and two thirds and only giving up one run. I'm just saying that's not even a sample size. Like we're not even getting a sample out of that. <laughs> The true test will be this, you know, obviously in April. Let's see what he does. See how he responds to coming back from Tommy John after a full off season of, of rehab as well. Uh, my number five team, I think was your number 14 team, Minnesota twins. Was it 14? Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into this real quick. Look, yeah, I, I'm actually pretty big on their starting rotation. Now it's not the same. It's not a starting rotation that ranks in my you know, top three, but it definitely, in my opinion, is is a top six or seven starting rotation. Joe Ryan is fantastic. He's a light throwing, dart throwing starting pitcher. Was a in thirty two starts has a three point five ERA. Sonny Gray is more than serviceable. Bailey Ober at six nine, and this dude is a flamethrower, and he has been outstanding so far in his career as well. Sub three five ERA. Um, Josh Winder. Like I, I have high hopes for this kid. <clears throat> Granted, he's off to a little bit of a rough start, but his minor league numbers are off the charts, which is why this is how you get a seventh round pick into, you know, onto a major league team in just four seasons. 
And then they have others, right? They have the injured group, Chris Paddock, Kenta Maeda. They have a lot of depth in starting rotation and they need it because whatever, whatever's in Minnesota's water, whatever Minnesota drinks is similar to what Chicago drinks. And so it's you know, a lot of injuries. You get a lot of injuries and it's on all sides of the ball, right? Um, the other thing is their bullpen is really strong. Look, if you haven't heard of Johan Duran, Duran, then you are missing out. Like this dude is incredible and he is such a flamethrower last year he struck out 90 batter 89 batters in 67 and two-thirds innings had a 0.98 whip which means he wasn't giving up any hits basically uh and a 1.86 era he is one of the best top young relievers in major league baseball i've got another name for you too and i should have brought him up when i was talking about seattle but andre Samanez had had a season to remember for the seattle mariners but he's not the only one like they've got like jorge lopez yeah He's a journeyman, but he's really good journeyman. 2.54 ERA. Like, it's just the list goes on and on about this bullpen that is absolutely, absolutely lights out. Um, and I think bullpen bullpens is, is one of the most important pieces to the puzzle. If you think about, like, the postseason last year, a lot of teams that made the postseason – had lights out bullpens like and it's and it just runs all the way through um you know you look at toronto with romano you look at new york and don't get me wrong the yankees struggled with their bullpen down the stretch but the regular season the bullpen was lights out and kept them in games houston astros same deal cleveland same deal like these guys all have lights out bullpens and minnesota especially if they make the transition to duran as their closer which is rumored to happen rumored to be happening, then then that that can be Minnesota's answer. Health is also a big deal. But I think that the acquisition of Christian Vasquez to replace Gary Sanchez is not only great from an offensive standpoint, but it's also amazing for the pitching staff, right? You talked about Mike Zunino earlier, and I'm going to get into that when we get up to Cleveland. But Mike Zunino is not just an offensive powerhouse. He is also an amazing pitcher's catcher, right? Like a Cal Raleigh and like some of these, like a, uh, like a Severino from New York, like he's there and a Maldonado for Houston. Like he is a pitcher's catcher. He's got a great frame rate. He's got, I mean, to the point where Houston even used Vasquez over Maldonado at times. And a lot of that was offensive, but they felt comfortable with making that, making that adjustment. Well, I think that Vasquez is the type of catcher that's going to improve not just the offense, but also the pitching staff. You kind of you knocked Luis Arreyes from coming out of nowhere. He's not out of nowhere. This dude is a hitting and contact machine. Um, and what's really great about Luis Arreyes is he is he he has some pop. Like he, he he didn't show it last year, but if you go through his minor number, minor and don't me wrong, eight home runs was a career year for him last year. But it was also everything was a career year for him last year. But you go through his minor league numbers, he's had double digit home run seasons. Um, but the big question mark is Brian Buxton. Or Byron Buxton, right? Like, is he going to be healthy? Because if he's healthy, then it helps Jose Miranda and it helps Royce Lewis and it helps Alex Kirilov. It helps all these other guys be better because you've got to stick. It helps Joey Gallo. It helps these guys because they are they are built to support a bigger star. And Byron Buxton is that bigger star. So Byron Buxton is healthy. Then Minnesota makes the playoffs and challenges Cleveland for the AL Central. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. Obviously, I, I mean, I'm not knocking Arias. He's just not a guy that's going to suck you a lot of home runs or necessarily a lot of extra bases. But again, hitting hitting the ball is tough to do, and he does a very good job of that. So 
great job for him. Um, <laughs> well, wait, you know, wait, let me, I just, cause I, I feel like there needs to be a response to that. Luis Reyes, you're right. Isn't going to hit a lot of home runs. Not going to knock a lot of guys in. You know what he's going to do though? He's going to get on base. He's going to create movement and he's going to score runs as he bats at the top of that lineup. So score runs, which is also important. Like that's an important aspect of baseball. You can't knock that. Somebody has to be your leadoff guy. Somebody has to be your second, your second batter. And they're not the ones that are going to be, should be your RBI guys, right? They should be your run scorers. And Luis Reyes gets on base at almost a 400 clip. But here's the other thing. He had a 375 on base percentage. And you say he doesn't hit a lot of, uh, a lot of extra base, uh, extra bases. He finished the season with 40 extra base hits. He had 31 doubles. He had a triple and he had the eight home runs, 40 extra base hits, 31 doubles. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty good number. And a 420 slugging percentage. Like there are major league baseball players on your favorite team that you wish had a 420 slugging percentage. I'm not, he's a fine player. I just, he's not somebody I'm like that I get excited about or anything. I mean, that's just, it like he's a guy that hits for good average that's great i mean but it's just uh i mean it's like okay yeah i just i just don't get excited about him i mean yeah there's a lot of good things you're pointing out and everything he's just not a guy that i'm like oh man love this dude i that's know all. i know um, you're right you want harry ford to be a hall of famer basically you have really really high standards for who you're the guys you look at are i get it i don't, I don't think that's too much to ask i mean <laughs> I don't, I don't. um okay moving on number number four here um i have the toronto blue jays in there um they did make the trade and lost to oscar hernandez to the mariners um but they got they got compensated well for their rotation i do like a lot alec manoa kevin gossman Jose Barros, Chris Bassett, Yusei Kikuchi, and Hunjin Ryu. Um, you know, I think those last – Bassett's been pretty good. Um, Kikuchi and Ryu. Ryu's he, – he needs some health, and Kikuchi just needs to be effective. So if they're your fifth starter, okay, like not, not terrible. Romano had a great season last year. They still could use some help in their bullpen. Tim – Maiza and Anthony Bass and Yimi Garcia, Adam Simber. Those are some good guys, but I think they can still use a little bit more help in there. Catchers, Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen, you're set there. You got great guys right behind the plate who can also hit as well. Baby Vlad can't knock him. The dude can just rake. He could be a better defender, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. But as long as he hits and hits well, nobody's going to care too much about how poor his defense is necessarily um second base you got espinal who's an all-star third base is chapman shortstop bichette and then you've got in the outfield you now have kevin kiermeyer to go with whit merrifield and george springer i like their outfield i like their offense dh i mean it could be anybody that needs needs a break or anything like that they can rotate guys in um you still have kevin biggio who you know, I'm not willing to give up on him, but he hasn't really done a whole lot to inspire a lot of confidence in. But I do like Toronto. I think they're going to be another playoff contending team. I think they're probably the best team in the AL East to compete with the Yankees for this top spot in there. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. But um, yeah, I've got them as my number four team. Um, Joe, who do you have? Sadly, I also have the Toronto Blue Jays. It doesn't make for very compelling podcasts, but um, 
I will make some just some quick corrections to your observations. Vladimir Guerrero won his first gold glove. He was in the running for a platinum glove, which is the best defender in Major League Baseball because his defensive run saved was the highest of a first baseman in the last 20 years or since they've been doing the defensive run saved based on the current metrics. He had he had a 12 defensive run saved, which was is a record for first baseman. He had an incredible year. And yeah, he made 10 errors, but his range also off the charts. He had an 8.17 range factor, which again, against other first basemen, there's only two other first basemen that were higher. One of them is Ty France, and the other one was Cody Bellinger when he played first base, which was in a limited span. He didn't actually play a lot of first base. So those that's who we're talking about right now is ter- like – Vladimir Guerrero not only is an offensive juggernaut, but he has put it together defensively since he's moved from third base to first base permanently. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think, you know, there's that. You already touched on the rotation. The rotation is outstanding. I think adding Chris Bassett to this rotation is a massive win. And when Hinjin Ryu comes back, that's going to make this rotation even better because you won't have to rely on Yusei Kikuchi, who's absolutely useless as a starting pitcher and should go back to Japan. Uh, and I'm not saying that because I don't like Kikuchi. I just think he's just not, or send him a triple A. Like, I just don't think he's that, that good of a pitcher. Um, the, the, uh, the, the bullpen again, lights out, talked about it a second ago, a great bullpen. It is more helpful to you getting into the, into the playoff or playoff consideration than a top-notch offense. But you throw in the fact that Toronto has a top-notch offense and yeah, you're looking at the best catching duo in the, in the, in majors with Danny Jansen, and Alejandro Kirk. You're looking at an amazing first baseman. You're looking at, okay. I mean, who knows who's going to play second base. It's going to be Espinal, Mary Fields is going to be Gavin Biggio. Who knows? Um, but second base is okay. Third base, you look at Matt Chapman, again, great defensive player. A decent offense occasionally, but not a lot. But you've got you've got some backups there in case, you know, if, if you want to you try something new. And then you look at shortstop, but Boba Shed had an incredible September. From September 1 to October 6th, the dude batted over 400 for the for the month, for that, that time span, which led all Major League Baseball players. Um, he had like a 1,200 OPS. It was absolutely insane what Boba Shed does, did. And if he can do that for an entire season, I think that's what we're all waiting for is for him to do that. If he can do that for an entire season, then Wow. Like the wow factor, that's going to be amazing. And then if you look in the outfield, you have um, you have Kevin Kiermaier, who's an incredible defensive outfield. You've got George Springer, who probably belongs more DH than any other position at this point because he gets injured so often. You have Whit Merrifield, that's an option. And you have Dalton Varsha, who they just acquired. Uh, he is also a fantastic option. I mean, he led um, or he was he had 27 home runs last year and he's still young. So at 25. So you know, he's, he's also a fantastic option. So I, I really, and I think you're right. I think that the Toronto blue Jays do challenge the New York Yankees, um, as far as in the AL East, but I don't think they're there yet. Um, and I think they just need, they need a little more prove it in their system, you know, just a little more proving, proving that they, they are legit. And the big question mark for me is like Alec Manoa, obviously was a Cy Young candidate last year, but he's not necessarily your strikeout starting pitcher. And how is, how are the offensive rules going to impact pitchers like him? And is, does he still remain great? That's going to be the question mark. So we'll see. We'll see how it works out. But uh, yeah, I have Toronto at four. All right. So who do you have at number three? Because we're getting near the end. Getting near the end. I have the Cleveland Guardians. 
So I have the Cleveland okay. Guardians for all the right reasons. Youngest team in Major League Baseball last year. They also made the postseason. Um, you know, they have an incredible pitching staff. And that that part right there is what got them through the first round of the playoffs last year, which by the way, I thought the playoffs, the playoff system last year was fantastic. I really, really liked, um, you know, the three game wildcard game. I thought that was fantastic. And I thought that the Cleveland guardians showed their cards. They showed that they are a pitching juggernaut you've got Shane Beaver. You've got Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, Zach, please. if he can have a bounce back year and Aaron Savali like that, that is a tough, tough top five. And in my opinion, they have the second best rotation in, in the American league. So, so that's a, and that's a big number. And then you throw in, as you mentioned before, lights out bullpen follow. And I think, I think probably the best closer in baseball in Emmanuel class a like this dude, he's only 24 years old, but this dude, 1.36 ERA 42 saves last year, 0.73 whip. And he throws 102 miles per hour. Like, and it's, it's an incredibly incredible movement on that, uh, you know, on his, on his, uh, two seamer, which is, has sinking action. Like it's incredible. It's almost impossible to hit this guy. And then they added two, monster pieces in my opinion josh bell to give them a lot more power in the middle only helps jose ramirez and the chance that jose ramirez can unseat like a shohei otani mike trout and maybe aaron judge in the mvp conversation like that's how big of a piece josh bell is hits for average hits for some power and it it solidifies that first base spot and wrestles it away puts josh naylor back where he belongs which is in in the outfield left field or right field one of the corner outfields mike zunino is a pitcher's catcher yeah he has pop in his bat too so that helps uh never is going to hit for average going to strike out a lot but what he does his frame rate is consistently one of the best in major league baseball and has been that way since he was called up seven years ago or eight years ago um so i think i think that cleveland is absolutely set to really make a run and you're right steven kwan kind of kind of came out of nowhere right but he only spent two and a half seasons at in the minor league so it's not like you had a lot of a lot of opportunity to see what this kid could do other than the fact that the dude never strikes out right and he gets on base and he has a little it's great has gets extra base power and has some speed oscar gonzalez like this dude became the randy rosarena from last year's postseason from prior postseasons right randy rosarena kind of came out of nowhere well, oscar gonzalez was an a good outfielder and he's got a chance to have some real power, but what he did with his back-to-back walk-offs in the walker round, that was insane. And that get, that made him the, uh, the, uh, you know, the subject of the lore, baseball lore for the rest of his life. So I think that Cleveland and they are still coming into this season. They are still one of the three or four youngest rosters in major league baseball. I think that this, this is, this is another opportunity for them to own the AL central. So I, I mean, yeah, Cleveland, I think can, I, there's the question is what do the white Sox do in the health department? Cause if they're healthy, I think they can overtake the guardians, but we've already talked about the health with them. So yeah, I think they're probably the, the better bet on winning it because the guardians are a solid team in there. My number three, I've got the Houston Astros. Um, and I will first off just say, I do not, like the Astros at all. I still am not a fan of them. I, they're probably a better team than where I have them, but I just can't rank them any higher because I really just don't like them. Um, I don't like the organization. There's just a lot I don't like about them. So now that the, uh, 
the irrational fandom has gotten out of my system. They do have a really good roster. Um, their rotation is definitely taking a hit. I don't think you should be counting on McCullers to be your starting opening day guy, um, just lack of health and everything for him. Um, but Framber Valdez has been nice. Luis Garcia, um, been nice. Christian Javier, nice. Jose or Jose, your kitty. Okay. I mean, it's not a bad rotation. They do have Hunter Brown, who I think will be in the rotation and will be moved out of the bullpen. Um, so that should help them too. But it's just, I mean, they're, I don't know. They they the loss of Justin Verlander is gonna hurt them a lot more than um, you know hurt their team this this season more than a lot of their other offseason losses have in the past. Um, their bullpen is still should be good. Um, offensively, you've got Maldonado, who's a good catcher, defensive catcher, not so much of a threat with the bat, but that's okay. He does what he does and that's what they really need from him because they should have a good enough offense to support that. You, They went out and they got Jose Abreu, um, which I think is a good get, um, even if his numbers are starting to show that he might be declining um, and maybe he's not going to be as good of a fit in the AL West compared to the AL Central, but um, we'll see. Jose Altuve is still chugging along at age, I don't know, 50, or however old that little guy is. Um, I, he's got to wear down at some point. I'm sorry. It just He has to. There's no way this little guy can keep it going. But um, Alex Bregman, since they took away the trash cans, he hasn't quite been as good. Um, he's still a really good player, um, but just not what he was when he knew what pitches were coming, which is, you know, not surprising. Jeremy Pena. I, I like Jeremy Pena. He had to replace Carlos Correa, who helped the team win a World Series, and he filled in well. Uh, he did really well for his rookie season in there. Um, so, you know, that's nice. He's a nice player. Outfield, they brought back Brantley, um, who, who's also been open to the idea of rotating in the outfield with Jordan Alvarez, um, which is very still cringeworthy to say that name considering what he did to the Mariners in the playoffs. Um, but I think that should help keep Brantley a little bit healthier. Kyle Tucker is very, very good. Their center fielder, I guess it, it's a couple guys. I mean, it could be Chas McCormick, could be Jake Myers. We'll see. Um, they, they definitely need somebody to play in center field out there. Um, you know, because they're they're They've got Tucker who's set in right field. Brantley, if they want to play him the full season left, that's fine. But I think it's probably smart that they rotate him with Alvarez just to keep both guys kind of healthy. Um, they've got a good team that, like I said, they should probably be higher, but I cannot rank them any higher because I do not like them. So moving on, Joe, who do you have as your, uh, number, number two? So, I mean, as far as not liking them is the reason why you can't rank them. High. I mean, I guess if we're just going to be completely subjective, I guess that's the way to go. Uh, my number two team is Houston. You still rank them number three, which is not atrocious by the way. Um, yeah. but my number two team is Houston. and. I mean, first of all, I don't know what uh, depth chart you're looking at. There's no chance on this planet that Lance McCuller colors is the opening day starter after what Framber Valdez did last year and what, um, and what uh, Christian Javier did last year. I don't under, I, there's, I don't, it wouldn't make zero sense to start your season with Lance McCullers. I mean, maybe because he's older, but the dude can't play a full season. He, he has, he's proven that over the last 
I don't know, forever, other than 2020, where he got all of his starts in, <laughs> um, which again, that was a COVID year. So we only had to do 11 starts. He has not played a full season in his career. So I, I, you can't award that. What you can award though is Framber Valdez. Like the dude deserves to be the opening start, opening day starter. Um, mostly because he's also almost the same age as Lance McCullers and had an incredible year last year where he put together 29 consecutive quality starts, which is a better number than Verlander did, by the way. Um, yeah. Did they lose Verlander? Sure. Do they still have one of the best starting rotations in major league baseball? Yeah. Top five or in American league top five, for sure. Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia and Christian Javier. They're the heartbeat of that rotation. Jose, your quitty. Eh, he's kind of, I mean, the Mariners love pitch, love, love hitting off of him. And Lance McCullers is never healthy, but the key to the Houston domination is not in that starting rotation necessarily. It's really in the bullpen. The bullpen is insane. Ryan Presley is probably, of all the teams out there, the Houston Astros probably have the only situation where there are three better relievers than their closer. And Ryan Presley is more than a serviceable closer. But when you look at Stanek, Montero, and Abreu, and you throw in the flame-throwing Hunter Brown, yeah, you have got just an Absolutely, and I hate saying that Rafael Montero is good because he was so terrible for Seattle. But yes. an absolute mashup of incredible bullpen arms. All right, say what you want about the offense, and they continue to lose players every year. This year it's Yuli Gurriel, but they replace him with Jose Abreu, who, by the way, has not lost a step. I mean, he he hit four less extra base hits this year than he did last year. Sure, fifteen home runs, but he. He compensated with 40 doubles and a 304 batting average. Like, who doesn't want that guy? I mean, it's not, there's not a step back in Jose Abreu, even though, you know, he's, he's, he, and he's a former MVP. He's going to be good. But they've added Jose Abreu to go with Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, who was very streaky. I mean, he had an August to die for. He had a 362. Uh, and Jeremy Pena, by the way, shout out to the University of Maine alum out there that might be listening to this. Jeremy Pena was amazing in the postseason. And if he can carry that over into, into the major league season, uh, regular season in 2023, that, that will be something as well. You're right. You found the hole that they have. It's the outfield, which it makes it surprise that they're not actually in the Brian Reynolds conversation, but it also shows the lack of depth they have in their, in their, in their, um, farm system right now. So, and the possibility that Jake Myers comes up and is their starting short starting center fielder on opening day. Like that's, that's a big question, big question. Um, so other than Kyle Tucker, their outfield is completely in flux. And then you have Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is a beast. And yeah, he might play some left field. He belongs to DH. He's kind of a liability out there. He's still young. And he was injured last year. Like he was injured last year, still at 37 home runs, 97 RBIs. He absolutely owned the playoffs. Well, I guess take that back. He absolutely owned the Mariners and they couldn't do anything else in the playoffs. But Jordan Alvarez is what really puts this team ahead of most teams. And that's why I have them second in my American league rankings. Yeah. They're like I said, they're, they're a good team for sure. Um, number two, I have our Seattle Mariners and this is just kind of going along with the whole homerism and being subjected and everything like that. Such a um, homer. You're such a homer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a believer, and I will admit that part of the reason I have them higher is I believe that DePoto will 
get another additional piece that will help them. Maybe it's Brian Reynolds. Maybe it's Gideon Trey Mancini. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, I think he'll get another piece that will help the offense and help them be better. Um, I have them having the number two best rotation in the AL. I got the Yankees is having the best after they went out and made their uh, big offseason acquisition. Um, but – Prior to the Yankees getting that acquisition, I had the Mariners having the best rotation in um, in the AL for sure. I mean, Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, Marco Gonzalez, George Kirby, um, fantastic, fantastic. Their bullpen is still very, very good. It kind of, I would say, kind of wasn't as good at the end of the season. I don't know if maybe they're overused a little bit or what. They just they weren't quite as dominant as they were earlier in the year last year, but um, they still should be really good. I, I like the offense. I like Cal Raleigh, um, Tom Murphy coming back. I think that should help out keeping Raleigh a little bit healthier. Um, Murphy's shown that he can be a good backup catcher, has some ability to hit and can be a good defender as well. So I think having him hopefully healthy, um, but behind Raleigh, I think that should help out both of them overall. France, I really, really like him a lot. Just wish he'd stop getting these arm injuries that affect him and his ability. Um, that would be very, very nice. Colton Wong, I do like him. I think he's going to be a very good defender. Um, offensively, I'm not expecting a whole lot from him. He's just never been an offensive powerhouse at all or anything like that. Um, I, I do think he'll be better than what Adam Frazier provided the Mariners last year, but um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not expecting a whole lot from Wong on the offensive side. Defensively, I think he'll be fine. I think him and Crawford up the middle will form a nice combo. Swores, I, I hope Swores' season last year wasn't just like the honeymoon, his first year with it, and he kind of goes back to what he was the last few years in Cincinnati. Uh, I think the work he put in with Perry Hill definitely paid off and showed dividends. I think he's going to be just as good again. Left field, I'm a little bit higher in Kelnick. I'm really believing in that the shift will help him and having some more – another season of experience will help him as well. Julio is going to be Julio and just – he's he's the face of the MLB right now. Um, sorry to anybody else who thinks it's somebody else, but it is Julio. Julio mm-hmm. is the guy that everybody wants to be. They love him. He's awesome. He's fantastic. I love the addition of Tasker Hernandez. I think he's going to be great at another big bat. Um that isn't quite a Suarez bat where it's a little more home run or nothing. There is some average in, in Teoscar. Um, so that should be fun. DH will be whatever player they feel like can give them the best matchup, I believe, against that pitcher. So I like Seattle. I think they're going to be good. Nobody gives the Pacific Northwest any respect, especially the Mariners. I'm giving them respect. They're my number two team in the AL power rankings, and that is how it's going to be. And we're um, – we're going to look really great this upcoming season, the Mariners are. So this brings us to to our number one team. I'm guessing we have the same ones that neither one of us mentioned already. <laughs> Joe, do you also have the Yankees as number one? I do have the Yankees as number one, but it's close. Like it's not, they're not that far ahead of the class of the American Agreed. League. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, their offseason edition of getting. Carlos Rodon has been, I think, will be very good for them. I mean, Garrett Cole, Rodon, Cortez, Frankie Montas, Domingo Herman, and then Clark Schmidt, if he wants to be in the rotation um, to kick out Herman or just be in the pen, I don't know. 
but yeah, that is really good. They still they still need bullpen. Um, well, I think. I hold on, you think. let me interrupt you there because you're missing yeah. Luis Severino. Like, uh, oh yeah, yes. Like he's 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 clearly in this conversation. You look at that top five: Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez, Frankie Montas, and Luis Severino, who's yes, healthy. My apologies. Yeah, like that's easy. Yeah. In my opinion, the number one rotation in Amer- in the American League, and probably a top three rotation in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that um, for sure. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot Severino. But yes, um, their bullpen, I still think it needs help. Uh, they've got Clay Holmes, Jonathan Doisiga, um, so Tom, Tommy Canal, who's back. He was another one of those. I don't know why teams decided to sign these guys, these injured players, to multi-year contracts. Like the Mariners did it with um, Ken Giles. It didn't really work out for either one. Um, maybe Canali will with the Yankees. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I think – I mean, do you also think that they need some bullpen help too? I do and I don't. Like I actually think that they improved based on the attrition of Aroldis Chapman. Like Aroldis Chapman was deadly under pressure last year. Clay Holmes also had some moments where he was, he struggled, but I think that they, the less that they have to lean on Jonathan Loisega earlier in, in games. And now that he can be there, him and Michael King, essentially, maybe Lou Trevino can be there. Uh, setup guys the true setup guys. I think that benefits them big time leading into Clay Holmes and Clay Holmes doesn't have to look over his shoulder this year to, you know, whether or not he's going to retain the closer position. I also think that Albert Abreu is a fantastic reliever and he's somebody who gets very little play he should be in my opinion he should be uh in the conversation for one of one of the setup guys throws 100 miles per hour he's got a nasty wipeout slider uh and his his fastball has a lot of sync to it like i think that there's like he's an underrated value and then you look at dv garcia um and ron marinaccio like those guys are also quality relievers so you're looking at quality relievers like the one thing that the yankees have that no other team has is they are quality relievers from their middle relief all the way to their closer and that's different like i've rank them as threes and fours all across the board. No other team can, no other team can make that claim. Every team has a two or a one in their, in their bullpen, not the Yankees. The Yankees are all threes and fours out of five. Yeah. Yeah. They're they've, they've got some definitely good rotation. Um, I'm not quite as high in their bullpen as you are, but I mean, you do make a very good case for them offensively. Uh, boy, it's, it's interesting what they'll do. Um, Jose Trevor, Trevino, Kyle Higashioka um, at catcher, DJ LeMahieu probably being the utility guy. I mean, you got Rizzo at first, Torres at second, Donaldson at third, and then I don't know if Isaiah Connor Falefa will be the starting shortstop or if it will be uh, Oswald Peraza. Um, but I mean, I think LeMahieu as a utility guy i think that can only help them he'll be in the lineup hitting for sure i'm sure they'll find spots for him to to play um he's a pretty productive player um but yeah who they have starting catcher i think that's just going to be on a kind of rotation base kind of keep everybody healthy in there outfield we talked about it earlier their outfield is definitely kind of a a mess um i mean who's going to be playing in left field is it going to be oswaldo cabrera is it going to be aaron hicks do they finally stop playing stan in left field or they continue to roll him out there just because they may need some healthy bodies um you know center field i think will be harrison bader he really showed 
some positivity in being a defensive player out there and kind of being a center field that they haven't had in quite some time. Obviously, Aaron Judge will be in right field and will just be destroying baseballs and um, hopes and dreams probably for a lot of people. And then their DH, I think, is, like I said earlier, could be LeMahieu, could be Stan, could be a bunch of guys they have options for. But there are some question marks in their offense of who they're going to have being the guys at certain positions. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It's not big questions though. Like, I mean, they have, they have a great problem because they have so much depth. Like who wouldn't want to have the question about whether or not Glaber Torres is going to, you know, be a super utility guy or DJ LeMay is going to be a super utility guy. Um, versus like what most teams have. And they're like, ah, you know, is my, is my 11th best offensive option, my super utility guy. Like they have really great problems to have. And yeah, their outfield, big question mark, right? This is why they are in the running for Brian Reynolds. The problem is they don't have, they don't have a lot of depth in their, uh, in their farm system to acquire Brian Reynolds. So that's, that's where, you know, some teams like Seattle, like Seattle would have an edge or the Dodgers would have an edge over the Yankees, but the Yankees, I mean, they'll figure out ways to maybe they'll just throw cash at Pittsburgh and call it good. Like, Hey, look, you get the year off from, uh, from worrying about your payroll sort of thing, you know, for, for Brian Reynolds. That's a hard thing to turn down by the way. And I'm, you know, if you're listening Cashman, you don't have to do that deal. Nobody really wants you to do that deal. All right. Um, Jose Trevid, the other thing about the uh, the Yankees is defensively, they're actually underrated. The IKF is, is a fantastic defensive shortstop, and he should be the starting guy. And yet you've got Oswald Perez, and you've got Oswaldo Cabrera. So you've got a bunch of different options in the infield, but nobody defensively is better on this team range factor-wise than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Uh, and then at second base, having DJ LeMahieu or Glaber Torres, either way you're winning in that situation. And to have, have Anthony Rizzo, more than likely obviously your first baseman because he's a really good defensive first baseman, um, but also the power and his ability to get on base also pluses for uh, for Yankees for the Yankees. The last piece, and again, a great problem to have, is their outfield. They have so much depth for their outfield, and it's not just uh, you know obviously Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and the often injured Aaron Hicks. They also have one of the best defensive center fielders in Major League Baseball in Harrison Bader. And this guy is only 28 years old. And yeah, did he light it up last year? No, he's not. He's not a you know power hitting outfielder, but he is a defensive gem. And he batted 250. It's more than serviceable, especially if you drop him in the nine hole, but keep him in center field. He also was a spark plug when when after the Yankees acquired him last year. Um, so you know, are there question marks? There are, but there they also have answers. That's the difference. That's what makes the Yankees the number one team in my rankings is because they have backed up their question marks with plenty of depth and that helps you win games. So you take, in my opinion, the best rotation in the American League, one of the top bullpens in the American League, and a ton of depth offensively for a team that scored the second most runs in the American League last year. All right. And they didn't have, they didn't have any turnover. Yeah. I will take that team as my number one American League power ranking. Yeah, yeah. They're 
a lot of good points there for sure. They they definitely stand alone at the top in the AL. Um, you know, we talked about there there are other teams that can make cases depending on how things break out in the season. Um, so, but right now, I think they they are the team to beat in the AL going into this upcoming season. So. There you have it, folks. The AL Power Rankings brought to you by the Replacement Level Podcast. Uh, feel free to chime in and share your thoughts on us. Let us know where we're agreeing with you, where we're disagreeing with you. Um, this should be a very fun upcoming season. Thank you all for listening for this and catch us next time on the next episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. Have a good night, everybody.